Well, I planned this talk a little over a month ago, but it really, um, and last week's wasn't necessarily planned, but Pastor Chris did a great job on his one, on his uh, uh, gather to scatter talk and challenges on uh, Matthew 28 to go and be disciple makers. And uh, <clears throat> while it wasn't totally planned to go together, I think this becomes a pretty good follow-up to that. I'm going to talk about this thing called grace and truth. Grace and truth by virtue of your personality, by virtue of how you read the scriptures, by virtue of how you see life and have life experience, really determines which of these two things you lean into most. Are you more of a grace person or are you more of a truth person? And a lot of it just flows out of our temperament and our personality and those things that I noted. But Jesus was the incredible, the most uh, well-rounded person. And his life was really made up. It was bookended by these two things, grace and truth. I want to talk about that today because as we gather like this, and then we get ready to scatter and go out and make disciples, how we deal with this grace and truth kind of quotient uh, really is important on how we're going to relate to and get along with people. So to know what Jesus meant when he said, love one another, you have to watch how he loved. John chapter 13, verse 35 says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And as he's doing that, what is he doing? He's washing these disciples' feet. It's a messy job. He's dealing with messy people. And he says, if you want to know how to love, this is what you're going to probably have to do. You're going to have to do some of those menial, slave-like tasks that nobody else wants to do and get involved in people's lives where, well, it's some of the messiest levels. And you'll see how Jesus did that in just a moment. But I want to, I want to look at the passage in John chapter 1. John, the beloved disciple the one who we believe based on some of the writings that was probably closest to Jesus, gives the most philosophical and probably greatest treatise on the life of Jesus. And he starts in John chapter 1, just kind of unpacking who Jesus is. He's the Lamb of God, the Messiah. He's the Word, the expression and thought of God coming in flesh. And I want you to just pick it up in John chapter 1 at verse 14. And it says this, the Word... Speaking of Jesus, was flesh, and he took up residence among us. Don't you love that? Jesus came to us, and we observed his glory, and the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, who was what? Full of grace and truth. Say that with me. Full of grace and truth. Now, John testified concerning him, and he exclaimed, He's speaking of John the Baptist now. This was the one of whom I said, the one coming after me has surpassed me because he existed before me. What John is unpacking here is that Jesus was, was, was preexistent. He is eternal. He always has been. He always will be. And then I love this verse 16. He says, indeed, we have received grace after grace from his fullness. Where does the grace come from? It comes out of the fullness of who Jesus is. And he says, for though the law was given, the Old Testament, the do's and the don'ts, though the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, no one has ever seen God, the one and only son, the one who is at the father's side, he 
has revealed him. So how do we see Jesus in the scriptures? Let me give you a couple of fly-by examples of Jesus living out grace and truth. Remember the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, the woman comes to get water and Jesus is sitting there. He's a little bit tired. He sends the guys into town to get some McNuggets and flay a fish for him. And all of a sudden this woman shows up and, and, and she comes, this Samaritan woman. And as you read John chapter four, what you're gonna see is, is Jesus made a strategic and intentional plan to go into Samaria because I believe he knew he was going to encounter this woman who needed some grace and some truth. So they're sitting there and all of a sudden he says, could you get me some water? So she gets him some water and she's kind of wondering, why would you talk to me? Because a Jewish man would never talk to a Samaritan woman and they strike up a conversation. And all of a sudden Jesus does this wonderful thing. Well, maybe it's not so wonderful, but he begins to unpack her life. And he begins to say to her, he goes, you know, honey, listen, you have had five husbands and now you're living with a man. And he speaks this truth to her to reveal her sin, but not to revel in her sin. He wants to get it out there to show I am the Messiah. And then he, after he speaks this truth to her, then he begins to speak grace to her about, listen, young lady, you see this water that you're going to draw? You have to come out here every day and you got to get it. You got to draw it. Then you got to carry it back home. Can I tell you something? I have living waters that can flow from within and you'll never, ever be thirsty again. And he begins to speak to her from this grace perspective. He's revealed the truth. Now he says, let me give you some grace. I can make your life better. He's not reveling in the past, dealing with the past, but he's moving her forward. Because she is now face to face with Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, and she can have hope to move on. Guess what she does? She runs into town and announces, come here, the prophet. He's told me everything about my life. And he did it by speaking grace and truth. And they had this revival in Samaria as the people run out to hear this prophet. Mark, Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 12, we see a story where Jesus comes and he, and he dines with sinners. Jesus, you know what he did? He came to hang out with the marginalized, with the disenfranchised, as well as the up-and-comers, the well-to-do. He, listen, he sat with everybody. But when he is sitting with these here, these tax collectors and these known sinners and he's eating with them, guess what? The religious people begin to ridicule him and put him down. But Jesus begins to say some very truthful words. You know what he says? He says, me sitting here is an expression of grace because I came to seek and to save the lost. But then he shares with them the truth and he says, you know why I'm here? It's because I come to the people that are sick and need a physician, not the self-righteous that think they're already well. I come to those who need it. And he speaks, he lives with grace in their midst and then he speaks truth as well. Then there's a last minute reprieve in Luke chapter 23, verse 32. There's two thieves on the cross. One is playing to the crowd, living for others with no regard to who this man in the middle is, Jesus Christ, the suffering, dying Messiah. But the other thief on the other side, there's something that takes that grips his heart. He begins to see something change. 
What is it? He sees how this dying man is speaking and dying in grace. What does he say? Father, forgive them. Who? His executioners, the people that have rejected him, the people that have caused him so much pain. He says, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And all of a sudden, something clicks in the one thief. While the other one is still playing to the crowd, this one is playing to the presence and the grace of Jesus Christ. He's messed up his life. He admits it. He says, the reason I'm dying is because we deserve it. There's a few seconds on the clock, and what does this guy do? He throws up a Hail Mary spiritual prayer. (laughs) And what does Jesus do? He says, he speaks truth to him. Guess what? You've seen the grace. He says, now today, this is my promise. You will be with me in paradise. And he receives eternity, receives eternity with God. There's another story, John chapter 8. And, and, and the gospels are full of them. But if you read John chapter 8, remember the woman caught in adultery, caught in the very act. And all of a sudden, the, these, these, this ragtag group of guys rip her out of bed and bring her to Jesus and says, we caught her in the act of adultery. And they're picking up, they're getting ready to stone her. And they want to trick Jesus and trap him. Because here he is, this grace and truth person. What's he going to do? Is it going to be all grace? Is it going to be all truth? If, he, if it's grace, he's going to let her go. If it's all truth, guess what he's going to do? He's going to stone her. So they they think they're going to trap him. What does Jesus do? Well, he bends down, writes something in the sand, and then he looks up. Guess what he does? He declares grace. Honey, your sins are forgiven. But then he's, but he doesn't leave it at that. He speaks truth. And what does he say? Go and sin no more. See, loved ones, that's how Jesus works with us. We have to understand the importance of these two things because I think that's why John highlights them here in this first part where he, twice he says grace and truth full of came in. Because if we have truth without grace, it's going to breed a self-righteous legalism that will push people and the world away from Christ. What is grace? In its essence, it is simply unmerited and, uh, and the unearned favor of God. It's us getting, you getting, me getting, everybody getting what we don't deserve. You can't earn grace. You can't buy grace. You can't bargain for it. Regardless of your past failures or your present shortcomings, guess what? We simply open our heart and our spirit and our life to Jesus to receive it. John 1, 16 and 17 again says, Indeed, we have all received grace after grace from the fullness of For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I love that phrase, grace after grace, blessing after blessing, favor after favor. That's what we get when we come to Jesus. Listen, the Christian life is not motivated by what? What so many people think it is, by do's and don'ts. But our life is motivated by the grace of Christ. And because of that grace, what do we do? We want to live to please Jesus. See, before he came, a lot of us know this, maybe some don't, but before he came, in the Old Testament, it says here, John reminds these people, guess what? You've lived under the law all of these thousands of years. It came through Moses. Guess what the law did for people? 
It didn't make people feel better. It made them feel worse. It didn't help them be good. It simply showed them how bad they were because they couldn't fulfill it and keep it. It didn't give people peace and joy. It just heaped on guilt. It didn't help people to measure up, but it showed everybody how how far they fall short. See, the Bible says that the law, when Moses gave the law of God, it was simply, Galatians says, it was our schoolmaster showing every person from that point on their need for a savior and ultimately to continually point forward to Jesus who came in grace and truth to reveal the Father to us. I mean, think about it. People throughout history have always wanted to see God. We've drawn pictures of him. We've made uh, caricatures of him. We've had people paint pictures of him. We've had people do drawings and sketches and, 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 and probably sculptures and all of these different things. But nobody had seen God until when Jesus arrives on the scene. And then we get to see God, his grace and his truth personified. In his son. Now, hear me, loved ones. His grace accepts us where we are. But this is the truth. He loves us too much for us to stay there. And sometimes it's just easy for us to stay there. But he says, No, no, no. I want my grace to bring you forward. See, Humpty Dumpty had an unsolvable problem. He was broken. We have a problem too. We're broken, but guess what? Ours is solvable. There's a solution and it's found in the truth of Jesus Christ. People need to hear the truth of brokenness and their fallenness, but it must always come with hope and grace that goes beyond legalism and some kind of mean-spirited telling people that they're a sinner and they're going to hell. And if they do this, if they do that, this is what makes them bad. No, it's just sin that makes us bad, loved ones. There's no sin that sends us to hell. It's sin in general. It's sin that courses through us. But Jesus came in grace and in truth to bring wholeness to us. See, Jesus Christ came to our wall. Jesus Christ died for our fall. So that regardless of death and in spite of sin, through grace, he puts us back together again. So you've got to have truth. If you have truth without grace, guess what? You're going to become a mean-spirited religious person. But if you have grace without truth, it's going to begin to breed a moral indifference that keeps people from seeing their need for Christ. This is the truth, Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Sometimes it's good for us to remember that and just make that confession. Maybe turn to the person next to you and just say, he's talking about me there. I'm all. Yeah, go ahead and do that. Remind yourself, I am all. That way anybody gets a little too holy here. (laughs) All have sinned. I saw this recently and I thought it was just very succinct and very powerful. Someone said this, any concept of grace that makes us feel more comfortable sinning is not biblical grace. Did you hear me? That is truth. Any concept of grace that makes us feel more comfortable sinning is not biblical grace. 
Notice, look what Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12 says. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Everybody can access it. It's available to everyone. And once you've received it, what does it do? I love this. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. See, sometimes we think that grace is just kind of this little free pass to do whatever, but it's not. See, once you've experienced this unmerited favor of God, then it begins to empower you to make good, right, and righteous decisions to say no to sin and yes to the truth. Sometimes we like the truth, don't we? Sometimes we don't. But most of the time, we really need it. Could you imagine picking up your car from the shop after a tune-up, and the technician goes, whoa, this car is in great shape. Later that day, your brakes malfunction, and you careen out of control. And you find out you, your, your, your brakes were out of brake fluid. You could have died. So what do you do? Man, you rush back to that shop and you say, why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me my brakes were bad? And the technician looks at you and he goes, well, you know, I, uh, I really didn't want you to feel bad. <laughs> I was afraid if I gave you that kind of news, you might get upset and, you know, and we want to be a safe place where people are simply loved and accepted. And what would you do? You'd be furious. What are you talking about? I could have died. This is important news. Give me the goods. Give it to me straight. <coughs> or you go to the doctor for a checkup. You walk in there. Doctor gives you kind of a once-over, and he goes, whoa, physical specimen. And so later that day, you're climbing the stairs, and you're huffing and puffing. All of a sudden, your heart just gives out. And you're in the hospital, and the doctor says, whoa, we got you just in time. And, and, and after they do this thorough check and they keep you resuscitated, they say, your arteries were clogged and you were one whopper away from the Grim Reaper. You know? And you're thinking, oh, no. And so what are you going to do? You're going to run back to that doctor and say, Doc, why didn't you tell me the truth? Doctor says, well, I, I, I know your body's in worse shape than Pillsbury Doughboy. But, but listen. I want this to be a good place. And if I start giving people bad news like that, man, it's bad for business and people aren't going to come back. And you go, Doc, just give me the truth. See, when something matters to us, we don't want the illusion of comfort based on pain avoidance, do we? See, here's the question for all of us. How much does your soul matter to you? Truth is more than facts. See, it's not just something that we act upon, but it acts upon us. Hear me, we do not create the truth. The truth can begin to create us as what? We don't create it, but we discover it in what? The person of Jesus Christ. Not only is he the personification of grace and truth, but John later says in chapter 14, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. See, imagine if you attended church and you heard this. You know, we, we really don't worry or care if you mismanage your whole life. I mean, nobody here is going to confront you because we don't like conflict. 
Oh, we'll talk occasionally about sin, well, especially sin out there, and we'll just kind of ramp up against them, but nobody here is really going to talk to you about your sin. You know why? Because that just wouldn't feel good. The goal of when we come here is always to feel good, and we walk out. We always want to feel good. Now, listen, you know Creekside. We don't beat people up, but the best way to feel good sometimes is to feel bad. And to understand where you are in relationship to the truth where God wants to take you. See, we love to hear about grace, loved ones, but the danger is we, under, we can misunderstand grace and start to worship feeling good instead of worshiping Jesus about whom we're told by John here. The one that says we beheld his glory. There's a weight to his life that when it comes to us, it brings weight to us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only son of the father, who's what? Full of grace, who loves us, but he'll never hold the truth from us. And we need it. I need, we need, you need people who speak the truth because the fact is, loved ones, we all have a sin problem and it's usually worse than we think. I mean, just consider a few statements from the Bible. John writes this in his first epistle. If we claim that we're without sin, we deceive ourselves. And guess what? The truth is not in us. And, and, and hear me. The longer, the longer that you walk in truth with Jesus, the more truth that you have, the easier it is to really begin to miss it. Jeremiah said the heart is more deceitful above all things. It's beyond cure. Who can understand it? Because see, everything starts within. It's not so much what we're doing out here. It's what's coming out, flowing out from our heart. And the truth is, sin is always self-deception. What's sobering about this self-deception is going on inside of you and me. And that's what Jesus says, I come to live in you, to change you. The Apostle Paul, when he writes to the church of Ephesus, they were kind of having some truth problems. So he says, you know what? You guys would rather, you know, just kind of, you know, be deceived and, and not hear all this stuff. You just want to hear the stuff that makes you feel good. So he says in chapter 4, he says, this is what I want you to do. Instead, speak the truth in love. Because we will in all things then grow up to him who is the head of Christ. See what he's saying there? He says, listen, speak the truth. Oh, but, but couch it, bookend it with a loving heart and spirit because that's what Jesus does. And we have a hard time with that sometimes. I mean, just there's so many inward things in our lives that are going on and I'm being dealt with and probably some of you are as well. I shared it a little bit uh, a few weeks ago when I talked about our heart Christ's home. Let me just think about, here, here's an example. Let me just use materialism. Let's say Marvin has a bigger house, more money, or nicer high-def widescreen TV than me. See, this is the truth. I'm, I'm jealous. I want it. I can't admit that because to admit that would make me feel bad about myself. And I'd have to be honest about that sin. So instead, this is how kind of religious, legalistic people do you begin to think, you know, oh, Marvy, he's kind of getting a little bit materialistic. I'm a little, he, you know, he doesn't, he's not concerned at all for the poor. And I'll bet at some point that materialism is going to begin to move him away from the love of God. So then I'm not only envious, now I'm being judgmental. 
but I, de- but I deceive myself into thinking that's really the spiritual problem. It's his materialism when you know what it really is. It's my envy. It's my judgmentalism, how I look down on it. See, loved ones, hear me. Truth. This is the truth. We don't create it. We simply discover it. Jesus is the personification of this. That's why John calls him the word, the express thought of our heavenly father. When you see Jesus, you see the thought of God. You see the heart of God. And this is really important because we need to have truth for stability in our lives. But we've got to be very careful that we don't get so much truth that we allow it to harden us and become very religious through it instead of allowing it to tenderize and marinate our heart to see people like Jesus sees people. We learn from his example. I found this the other day in a great book by Max Lucado. It's called The Grip of Grace. He talks about the fault-finding judgmentalist versus the grace-driven Christ follower. He says the the first one will always be fault-finding, and the next one is grace-driven. And oftentimes, it's the, uh, the, the the judgmental people usually are the they can be if we're not careful, loved ones. The reason I talk about this grace and truth: if you lean too much into truth, it's very easy to become judgmental. I am not diminishing truth and the importance of it one bit. But sometimes the more we know, the better we see ourselves and it's easier to look down on others. See, the strategy of the fault-finding judgmentalist is to compare myself. The grace-driven person is to entrust myself to Jesus. The goal of the fault-finder is to monitor my neighbor. The goal of the Christ-follower of grace is to know my Father. The self-analysis of the fault-finder is, I may be bad, but I'm better than so-and-so. The grace-driven person is, I'm not perfect, but I know the perfect one and I'll be forgiven. The fault-finding judgmentalist, their bumper sticker would be, God's watching you and so am I. (laughs) The grace-driven one is, I understand I'm not perfect. Their view of sin of the fault-finder is, he's guilty. The grace-driven Christian will always say, you know what? I was guilty. Their worth the worth work ethic of the fault finder is what you do is my business. The grace driven person is what God does is my business. Favorite phrase of the fault finder is straighten up. Favorite phrase of the Christ driven, grace driven Christ follower is thank you. Thank you. See, John, he walked with, he talked with, he lived with, he ate with, he ministered with, he watched Jesus day in and day out, up close and personal for three years. And what he is saying here is Jesus is the perfection, the personification, the most perfect, delightful, bookended balance that there is of grace and truth. You've got to have both. We've got to have both in our lives. So this is a question to think about. What is your percentage? What's your percentage of truth? What would you say your percentage of truth is in your life? And then what would you say your percentage of grace is? Are you 50-50, you think? So that would be pretty good. Or do you kind of lean into one at 30 and one at 70? What is it? 
Is there one you need to grow in and to balance it out so that you live more like Jesus? Do you watch the news and start thinking down and talking down what's going on in the people there? Or do you begin to have more empathy for them? Well, what percentage do you think was Jesus? What do you think Jesus was? He's 100% of both. He's 100% grace and he's 100% truth. Hear this, loved ones. The church at its, it will be at its best when it is most like Jesus. And we're most like Jesus when we dispense both grace and truth and we, we, we refuse to let go of either. And it's the same thing in your life. As you're out there, as we gather here and you scatter today and this week, the best thing you can do is to never, never let go of either. But in every situation, say, what is needed here? Is it truth or is it grace? And then if you speak truth, you always speak it with grace. And then if you're dealing with an area of grace, you always make sure you're being truthful in it. Jesus said, this is the truth. You are a sinner. He reveals it. But don't you love that he never revels in it with you either? But the grace is, he says this, I don't condemn you. You know what he says? I want to be with you. Romans 5, 8 says, but God proves his love for us, for you, for me, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I just love that. While we were still lost. A few months back, I was upstairs watching TV on the bed waiting for Trina and realizing she wasn't there. She wasn't coming up. She was downstairs in the family room watching a really bad, bad show called The Bachelorette. <laughs> and, um, and I kind of kept waiting for her because I was watching something else at that time. And I finally said, you know, I just really miss her. I'd like to be with her tonight. It's whatever night it was, and so Monday, thank you. There's a, was that you, Trina, or her? Okay, I just want to know if there's any other bad, bad girl. So I walked down there, and I said, why are you watching all these, why are you watching all of these bachelors like them when you could be in here, up there, with a husband like me? Hey, guys, don't ask that question, okay? <laughs> you just might get an answer. Well, she did want to be with me, so I went downstairs and watched it with her. And um, <laughs> what you won't do for love. See, God wants to be with people. I want to be with Trina. If, if, if you pick up a single theme in the Bible, loved ones, all the way through from beginning to end, you know what it is? It's the Bible is all about a relationship with Jesus Christ, God's son. From the beginning to the end, it all points to him. A great phrase in the Bible in Genesis chapter three, it says, then the man and his, wa wa uh, and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That was probably a pre-incarnate Christ, a Christophany, Jesus Christ before he, you know, kind of came as man there, before he came as man as a babe. 
Think about that phrase. What is the real purpose of walking? It's doing something with somebody you care about. The focus isn't the walk. Who do you walk with? You walk with a friend. You walk with a lover. You walk with a child, a grandchild. Why? Because you want to be with them. God comes and shows up and he says, Adam, Eve, I want to be with you. But what do they do? They sin. And so they begin to hide from the presence of God. We still all do that at different times. Paul wrote this, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but we can be justified by faith in Jesus Christ. He declares we can be forgiven, embraced, and accepted freely by his grace through the redemption that comes through Jesus Christ. We can receive Christ. He calls this, Paul says this is eternal life. John refers to it as eternal life. Most people don't understand this. Most people, when they use this phrase, eternal life, they think of immortality, life that never ends. And that's true. But the phrase eternal life in the New Testament is not primarily about duration or quality, excuse me, or quantity. It's about a quality of life. It's describing a life with God now, a God with life now. And then, a God with life then. Hear me, loved ones. God isn't going to give up his dream. That's why you and I still gather so we can scatter. He called 12 people that we think, why would he ever call them? But he calls them. One flunked out. But with those 11 disciples, they changed the world. They turned an upside-down world, started to turn it right side up with a God with message. You see it in Genesis chapter 3. From the beginning, God walked with them all the way through and to the end of the book in Revelation 21 where God says, in the end, at the culmination of history, guess what? He says, I am going to be their God and I'm going to be with them because they're going to be my people. As you read through the Old Testament, you see all the times it is noted that God was with his people. He breaks through history, and this baby is born. And it says, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. In Jesus, it becomes personal. He says, I'm going to make the life of God available to every one of you. And guess what? It's going to be enveloped in grace. And truth. We have a number of law enforcement officers in this church. So I'm really careful. Whether I'm driving down Highway 4 and Jeff Davidson and his copper state car is there, or if it's Freddie Ferrer or some of the other guys. Well, one day um, I was coming from my house, which is really a long commute, and uh, it's a probably all of about 300 yards. But sometimes, I don't tell anybody this, but I, 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 if I'm really in a hurry, I mean, I try not to do this. I'm very aware of it now. But I try not to do a California stop. But sometimes I don't think, and I just, maybe I do it, maybe I don't. But on this day, I'm in a hurry, and I come, and I blow through the intersection, um, uh, the, the big major intersection from Sunny Slopes to Fig Tree. And, um, and I go, and I turn into the church parking lot, and all of a sudden, I mean, out of nowhere, 
there's a police car behind me with its lights on. One of Martina's finest. And I'm thinking, what in the world? And all of a sudden, I think he, you know, and I go, well, this is good. (laughs) See how many staff show up or maybe, you know, counseling appointments or whatever or people to do work. And, uh, and I pull over and I get out, hands up, you know, um, and, uh, and it's Jim Chase. And uh, it's interesting, you know what he said? He said, I just wanted to come and see you. And I thought, you know, that, that's so sweet. He didn't come as the arresting cop that I thought maybe he was. He come as a friend who simply wanted to be with me for a few minutes before I started my day. See, loved ones, I think grace would say you today. Christ wants to be with you every day in every way. As I said it a few weeks ago, he wants to be at home in you. He wants to live with you. You know why? Not just so you can have a grace and truth-filled life, but so when you go out there tomorrow, next week, next month, throughout the year, your life will speak of his life. And when people deal with you, they know that they've got the grace of Christ and the truth of Christ. And you don't lean into one that makes you look really weak or you're not so strong on the other that it pushes people away. You're simply becoming like Jesus. That's what we want to do. Because as Pastor Chris so greatly said, we want to gather so we can scatter for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen.